This evening we're continuing right on where we left off uh, in our sermon series called A Year in the Life of Jesus. So if you're a visitor with us today, what we've been doing the last, I guess, couple months has been taking a look at a chronological year in Jesus' life as it's recorded in the Gospel of John, chapters 2 through 4. Um, in that chapters 2 through 4, Jesus starts at this place called Cana in Galilee and he does all this ministry and then he comes back and uh, at the end of chapter 4, he's back in Cana and that's about a year that he spends there. So now in the middle of this series, A Year in the Life of Jesus, we actually started a mini-series. Can you believe that? A mini-series. I'm just... Yeah, we're looking at the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, and it's just such good stuff. I said, this has to be three sermons. So uh, so we're taking off smaller chunks, and we're in a mini-series right now. This is the second week of it. And I don't know about you, but when you hear the word mini-series, I always think of like cheesy television special that's either about some war or about some scandalous event. So... This is not a cheesy sermon, I hope, and it's not about a war, but it is about a potentially scandalous event. Uh, last week we talked about this Samaritan woman who was at a well, and we talked about how in ancient Near Eastern culture, women, I mean, this is just the way it was, you weren't supposed to go outside in public unescorted. Okay, so this Samaritan woman goes to a well by herself, and not only that, but she is, uh, how shall I say, Morally corrupt in, in a way. It's strongly suggested, in fact, we'll get there today, that she's had some uh, uh, moral faux pas in her life. And so she's, she's isolated even from her own people. The other women won't go out to the well with her. She's all alone. And there she encounters this Jewish man, this religious leader named Jesus, who's starting this movement. And now this is where it gets really scandalous. Jesus, as a Jewish man and a religious leader... He's not supposed to be talking with a woman in public, let alone a Samaritan woman. That would make him unclean in their purity laws. So what we're learning, though, in this series is that this kind of behavior from Jesus is really pretty normal for him. He he tends to break these purity laws when it benefits other people. He cares more for people than the opinions of people. He cares more for people than the opinions of people. Well, I'm just going to recap last week since we have some visitors here. And so last week what we talked about is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman and he had offered her living water. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Well, in that culture, living water meant two things. The first thing, and they're at a well, is it just meant running water. It meant the kind of water that comes up from a spring or a river that's not stagnant, as opposed to a different kind of well where it just collects rainwater and gets old. So that's kind of the water the woman was thinking about. But there's another term, another meaning for living water, and that is the very presence of God. In the Old Testament, sometimes God is called a fountain of living waters. And so what Jesus was really offering this woman was the Holy Spirit or God's presence to be with her. She didn't quite get that yet. But one of the amazing things that happens is she thinks Jesus is talking about magical water because Jesus says, I've got water that if you drink it or if you partake in it, you will never be thirsty again. Now, Jesus is talking about spiritual water. He's talking about if you receive me, you'll never thirst in your spiritual life. Now, she thinks it's like this magical water. She says in verse 15, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water and I will not be thirsty or come all the way here to draw. So she thinks he's just talking about regular water. The amazing thing is, 
is that that would be a miracle in itself, wouldn't it? If somebody actually had water that if you drank it, you would never get thirsty again. And so what we saw last week was that this woman actually had faith. She's a most unlikely disciple to begin to trust Jesus. But she had a little bit of faith. She trusted him for at least this kind of magic water. And we're going to pick up the story where we left off. So there she is asking Jesus for this magic water. And he says this. Go call your husband and come here. Well, the woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You've correctly said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have, is not even your husband. This you have said truly. This you have said truly. In 2001, oh, that was a crazy year. That's the year I left seven and a half years of the Coast Guard to pursue uh, what I believe to be a call to ministry. And one of the first things I had to do was start going back to school. So Corey was already in college and I had to get a job. So you know how it works. You know a guy who knows a guy. And there was this particular third party guy who was a construction contractor and he needed an apprentice. I thought, this will be great. It's a decent wage. I'll learn some skills with my hands and I'll get to work outside and earn enough money to support us while we're going to school. So I remember one of my first jobs, it was in the San Francisco Bay Area and this particular job was right downtown in this beautiful old house built in the 20s and it's one of those typical San Francisco houses that's real skinny and about four, four stories tall. Multi-million dollar place. Had an elevator inside and we're walking through the house and I, the boss was talking about okay we're going to knock down this wall and at the top floor man there was this balcony and I had already envisioned as he's talking I'll eat my lunch up here the view is so spectacular so we get down to the truck and I start getting tools I'm in a really good mood and he says well let me show you what you're going to be doing he hands me two things and that's when I know it went downhill a Tyvek suit and a flashlight. Now when any, somebody hands you a flashlight in construction, that's not good news. And I felt like I had swallowed concrete, right? Like this impending doom. He leads me over to the foundation of the house, opens up the crawl space, and says, yeah, you're going to be under here um, retrofitting all these wood piers with metal braces for earthquake retrofit. Now, I don't do crawl spaces. Why? Because I don't do spiders. And I don't do rats. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows I just I can't do spiders. But luckily, the only rats I saw were two petrified rats. I'm not kidding you. This place was disgusting. And the point of the story is I had totally gotten myself more than I bargained for. I thought that getting this job was going to be one thing, and it turned out to be another. Now, the woman at the well, she hears that Jesus has this living water and says, Ooh, I want that. I don't want to get thirsty ever again. Give me that living water. And then what does Jesus do? He comes up with this weird comeback like, call your husband here. And she says, of course, I don't have one. And he reveals this deep, dark spot in her life. He reveals this sin and shame that is inside of her. See, when we begin to follow Jesus, he doesn't just leave well enough alone. Some of the benefits of following Christ are like awesome comfort, hope that we have. But also, Jesus wants to transform our whole life. And so the woman would have been fine with like magic water that just made her not thirsty anymore. But Jesus wanted something more. 
And he begins to uncover the stuff that she's hiding. Much like I'm looking at this beautiful house thinking, oh, it just needs some cosmetic changes. Well, no, when you looked under the cross space, you saw that that thing could crumble at any moment. Jesus knew that this woman, the state of her soul, that she could really crumble at any moment as well. She needed a spiritual retrofit, if you will. And only Christ could change her. And it makes me think of the dark spots in my life. The things that I've done, the things that I've said, the things that I've left undone. And I wonder if Jesus were to open up the cross space of our life and to shine His light in there, what would He see? Where would we need bracing and fixing and meddling? Well, it's something to think about. Let's continue on with the story. Jesus has opened up this can of worms. He's uh, confronted this woman. She's admitted you know, that she is not, uh, she's not living the most wholesome life. And the scripture goes like this. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where, peop- the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. I think worship is like seven times in four verses. I wonder what the point of this passage is. It's talking a lot about worship here. Now, interesting thing. This woman's understanding of Jesus advances. Last week, we read the first few verses of this text. And in verse 9, the, Jesus, or the woman calls Jesus a Jewish man. So, to her, to her he's just a Jewish man. Then he becomes this guy who might be like a snake oil salesman or something that can offer her magic water. But now, she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. So she's starting to get it a little more. Now, obviously Jesus, we know, is more than a prophet, but she's advancing in in her understanding of him. And in a lot of ways, one of Jesus' roles is as a prophet. Prophets do what? They tell it like it is. And Jesus kind of exposed her background and her sin. Not to be mean. He's never doing it to be cruel, but to heal us where we really need healing. Now, this woman changes the subject in a way. Some people say. Jesus says that, you know, you're you're not married to the guy you're with now. You've been married five times. And she says, um, well... Our people say that we ought to worship on Mount Gerizim, and you people say Jerusalem. Now, what's the true thing? Where do we really worship? And some people say that she's changing the subject. After all, what better way is there to change the subject than talking about like religion or politics? Maybe sports. Sports would be a good way to change the subject. Team USA advancing in the Confederations Cup. Does anyone care? Okay. All right. All right. But I don't think that she's changing the subject at all. And here's why. 
Where did people in Jesus' day go to take care of their sin? Where would a Jewish person go? The temple in Jerusalem. Where would a Samaritan person go? Mount Gerizim. Alright? Mount Gerizim. As Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, Jacob's well, right in the background of Jacob's well is Mount Gerizim. So she says, you know, our people say that on this mountain, I can see her pointing to it in my mind's eye, on this mountain is where we worship. You guys say it's in the temple in Jerusalem. Which one's right? Which one's right? See, I think that she's really asking the question that we're all asking. What do we do with our sin and pain and loss? I think that this woman is way more complicated than just a sinful Samaritan woman. She's been left by her husband five different guys. It's hard to believe that that's all her fault. How many of those husbands just ditched her? Did any of them die? Did any of them leave her for another woman? Now, certainly the implication is that she is morally dubious as well, but how much pain is she bearing herself? She's not just sinful, she's broken. And she's saying to this man who now she thinks is a prophet, what do I do with this? Where do I go? I'm so confused. You guys say it's over there. Our people say it's over here. Which one's right? Well, of course, in a few verses, Jesus is going to kind of abolish physical places as being where we take care of sin. But I don't want us to overlook something. I don't want us to overlook that Jesus is not neutral on this subject. He's not neutral on this subject. In fact, He says that salvation comes from the Jews, actually. Um, I just wanted to recap some of the stuff we talked about last week. If you recall, I said that the Samaritans were originated from the same people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But hundreds of years before Christ, they were taken into captivity, and they mixed with other, other cultures and races, and they began to not only worship Yahweh, but some other gods as well. The other thing is that the Samaritans only had five books in their Bible. Is the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Whereas the Jews had those books plus the writings and the prophets, everything that we call the Old Testament. And so this is a really interesting thing because it, it touches a chord with our contemporary culture. Our contemporary culture likes to blur the lines of faith so that we arrive at kind of a least common denominator. All faiths are the same. But to say that all faiths are the same really insults the integrity of every faith group. Human life and the creation of the world is a universal phenomenon. Sin is a universal human problem. And religion is a universal way of explaining creation, life, and how to deal with sin. But what if God, who created the universe and us, actually spoke... What if that God revealed, him, revealed Himself to a specific people and told them how to relate to Him? What if that God actually came to earth and showed us His love and died for our sin? Well, if God did this, then His revelation would be truth. If God came as Jesus and said the way to find true, abundant, eternal life was through Him, then that would be the truth. 
And the Christian conviction is that these things actually did happen. And all religions or beliefs about God are not equal in merit or truth. They they can't simply all be the same. So Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, actually, salvation does come through the Jews. It's through the covenant between God and Noah, then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses and David, through the Torah, the writings and the prophets. It's through those avenues that God pointed to a coming deliverer, one who would be the salvation of the world. But, and this is very important, the salvation that was supposed to come through the Jews was always, always intended for everyone. Unfortunately, what happened was what always happens when people get involved in faith. Walls get built up to protect us from them. Instead of becoming a place for the world to meet with God, the Jewish temple became an exclusive place for privileged men. Now, the temple has become an exclusive place for privileged men, and Jesus speaks to a very unprivileged Samaritan woman who would never, ever be accepted into the Jerusalem temple. And she says that God is looking for worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and truth. What on earth does that mean? Well, first let's look at what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that to de-emphasize the temple or to de-emphasize Mount Gerizim means that we just have this individualized religion where however I think feels right is right. No, to worship in spirit and truth means that our worship is made possible by the Spirit. And the Spirit helps us to see the truth, that is to trust in Jesus the Christ. Remember, living water is just another way of saying the presence of God. Now this is starting to make sense. Remember back in verse 4, Jesus had to go through Samaria? I talked about this last week, that actually there are other routes that Jesus could have taken. In fact, more common routes. So when it says that He had to go through Samaria, we're seeing some of God's providence there. Now I see why Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go meet with this woman. Because the Father is calling people like her to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And how ironic, if you're a a strict Jewish reader in the first century, that a Samaritan woman of questionable character is just the kind of person that the Father of your religion is looking for. This is incredibly upside down and ironic. And it's just the kind of thing that God is in the business of doing shattering our religious walls that we build up to reach out to people who are hungry for Him. God is spirit. That's why we have to worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, that isn't like some metaphysical description of God. What I mean by that, when the Scripture says that God is spirit, it's not really talking about whether or not He has a physical body or not. After all, the Scriptures say, God is love. doesn't mean He's a feeling. Or they say, God is light. That doesn't mean He's stuck in my flashlight until I turn it on. It's just a way of describing some of the character attributes of God. What it means then that God is spirit is it means that He's dynamic. That He's at work in our world. That He didn't just create the earth and start it spinning and walk away, but He's intimately involved. And He actually goes out of His way to meet people like this lady. 
and to share life with her, His very presence. God cannot be contained in walls like these. That's why I asked Tommy to read those scriptures. The one in 1 Kings was when Solomon first built the temple. Even then, when they're first dedicating the temple, he says, certainly these walls can't hold you, God. And then Revelation gives this picture of the new creation. In the new creation, there will be no temple. We don't need it. We don't need it. That's the, the good news of the living waters that you and I have access to God. We don't have to go through walls or boundaries to get there. This woman thought she was asking for magic water. She got more than she bargained for, didn't she? Jesus exposed her sin. and She asked Him the question we all need to know. The question every major religion is really trying to answer. What do I do with all my sin and with all my shame and with all my pain? Where do I take that? Well, I imagine that this woman right now, and I'm, I'm admitting to you, I'm reading into this, <laughs> I imagine that she's kind of bewildered as Jesus has just said all this stuff about worshiping in spirit and truth. And I almost imagine she says this next verse with a sigh of despair. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. And when that one comes, he'll declare all things to us. Almost as if, I don't know what you're talking about, mister. It's so confusing. But I know that the Messiah is supposed to come. He'll explain it. The hairs are racing up. Jesus says, I who am speaking to you am He. I who am speaking to you am He. There she stands in all her shame and sin and past. And finally, finally, the answer is standing in front of her in the form of a man. Jesus the Christ. You know, for many years when I read this story or when I heard it taught, the emphasis was always on looking at Jesus and identifying with how He reached out to this poor woman. And the emphasis was always on evangelism. You should be like Jesus and reach out to these people who are on the fringe, the women at the well. And I think that that's a valid reading. But the more that I meditate on this and read this, the more I realize that I am the woman at the well. That I need those questions answered of where I go to deal with my stuff. We stand beside the woman at the well with our sin and with our pain, our past, the deeds we've done and the deeds we've not done. And the good news is that we can lay those things at the feet of Jesus because He accepts us. He forgives us. And He wants to recreate us into His image. He doesn't just take care of sin. But it's almost like going under that house in San Francisco and making it stronger. He wants to make us new people. 
That's why they call this stuff gospel, which means good news. Let's pray. In fact, I'm not going to say anything. Let's take a couple minutes of silence. And if you have some of those dark spots and you just want to lay them before Jesus' feet, just do that silently. Jesus for being trustworthy and faithful. Faithful for when we confess to you, we lay down our pain and our brokenness. You're trustworthy to do the right thing with it. I thank you that you comfort us in our sorrow and shame, but that you don't just leave us comforted. But you give us more than we bargained for. And you change us to become people in your image. Do a work in us, Lord. And we thank you that you're not finished with us yet. Praise you. Amen.